Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Dr. Lydia Kang, a practicing internal medicine physician who is also an author of young adult fiction and adult fiction. Dr. Kang's nonfiction has been published in the JAMA, the Annals of Internal Medicine, and the Journal of General Internal Medicine. And she's also collaborated with librarian and historian Nate Pedersen on two books. The first was Quackery, A Brief History of the Worst Ways to Cure Everything. And now they have a new book, Patient Zero, the focus of our conversation this morning. So let us meet Dr. Kang. Dr. Kang, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, I am so grateful to have you join us. Uh, this is so amazing because you just sound like this fascinating and so interesting person, woman. <laughs> so it's so great to be able to connect with you and uh, at this point really learn more about your newest book, Patient Zero, A Curious History of the World's Worst Diseases. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, this book was a lot of fun to write. It was a really um, illuminating. It, we learned so much in the process of writing this um, with my co-author, Nate Peterson, who um, hails from Portland, Oregon, uh, pretty close by there. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, we were, were very curious people, so it was uh, really intriguing and fun for us to do this deep dive into all these diseases. So that answers part of a question, you know, your curiosity drives you, but why then specifically looking at diseases? Well, you know, we had written um, a book together uh, that came out in 2017 called Quackery, A Brief History of the Worst Ways to Cure Everything. And in that book, we got to explore all these really strange kind of um, treatments things like arsenic and mercury and, you know, cautery, like using like hot metals to burn yourself. We, we investigated all these different treatments that had been used throughout history to treat diseases. It uh, usually didn't work, um, oftentimes with some disastrous consequences. And, um, but this was the first time Nate and I had written a nonfiction book that really focused on a lot of medical history and so after that book had come out, we, we just wanted to do it again, and we, we love medical history. I, myself, am a, am a physician. Um, I also write uh, fiction as well, and Nate's a librarian and a historian and a journalist. So together we really wanted to pick something else that was going to be in the medical realm. And infectious diseases are just this big wealth of history and um, you know, they're really kind of fascinating in a lot of ways. I think everybody's a little fascinated by infection diseases. We don't want to get them, but we kind of want to know about them. So it's a sort of a natural place for us to go, and that's kind of how it happened. And I must say, you seem like just a perfect team with your medical background and his librarianship and in interest in history and yours too, of course. Then I mean, it's just a great melding of minds. You know what? It worked out really great. You you never know when you're going to work on somebody with a project, and it doesn't have to be writing a book. It could be any kind of project. If your personalities are going to work together, if your work styles are going to be okay, and Nate and I work really well together. Um, we oftentimes get questions from people because what we do is we divide the book up, and I write half the chapters, and he writes half the chapters. 
And we end up sounding like we have each other's voice so much that people can't tell who's written what. (laughs) And I think that sort of speaks to how well we work together. And so that's an interesting thing. Here we have so many diseases, and not just diseases, but the world's worst diseases. So would you have listed these out and then divided the list? That's basically kind of how we did it. We started putting together um, a list of diseases that we wanted to tackle. And we were doing research at the time saying, like, you know, what are, what are some of these diseases that have impacted human history in a way that is just extraordinary? And so the list sort of made itself to be honest. But in addition to that, we wanted to explore some other topics that we find really fascinating, like, um, you know, uh, some of, again, some of the quack remedies for these diseases. We wanted to look into things like, you know, what um, kind of cancers are caused by some of these diseases, what medical advancements have been um, made that are a result of pandemic diseases. So there was a huge number of topics plus a huge number of diseases. And what we ended up doing was finding that there was this repetitive um, uh, theme that kept happening every time we were researching a story, which was, you know, these three phases of any type of infection, uh, which are basically infection, spread, and containment. And that's how the book ends up being divided. We sort of put um, different diseases and ideas into each of these sections and played them out. And then comes the the name of the book, Patient Zero, which then adds, it's almost like intrigue to all of this history. Yes. So the idea for Patient Zero, the title, was always there from the very beginning. Because I think um, if you don't know what Patient Zero, Patient Zero is a term that means uh, the person who first gets an infection and then ends up being like the point person from which an epidemic or an outbreak or a pandemic begins, right? So it's like the index person where everything starts from. Um, And I think it's something that we all tend to do as human beings. We're, We're all curious in our own sort of way. But for example, like if we get an illness, like if we get a cold or something, sometimes we're like, oh man, I was... I was sitting in a cubicle next to somebody who was coughing yesterday. Like, I bet that's where I got it from. Like, we like to know where things come from. We like to know where, um, why we're sick and to, to understand them. And so patient zero is sort of um, encompasses that natural need to find out what the origins and what the beginnings of things are. And it is something that is oftentimes used in outbreak investigations because they're trying to figure out and contact trace and find out, like, where did these outbreaks happen? Um, But at the same time, it's, you know, the word is really fraught with a lot of negativity. There's a lot of sort of blaming and finger pointing that seems to come with it. And we also wanted to talk about that. It's it's a difficult subject. And and oftentimes there really isn't a single person to blame for a lot of these um, pandemics. And thank you. That is a very key and important point. Rather than having just an understanding, anybody could have potentially been in whatever circumstance. So, you know, to say, oh, you are at fault and everything that has happened is your fault. I mean, that kind of blame is is crazy, isn't it? It is. And I think that, um, you know, if you do read the book, you oftentimes find that, you know, what seems to be the patient zero is so much more of a complicated story than just pointing out a single person. Um, You know, so like take uh, Mary Milan, for example. So she is 
the Mary of typhoid Mary. So if you guys have ever heard of people saying like, oh, I got a cold and I gave it to everybody. I'm the typhoid Mary of my class or something like that. So typhoid Mary was a person who lived in the early 1900s, and she was a, a cook. And, um, you know, she was a poor Irish immigrant just trying to make her way, trying to survive. And she was working for a cook as a cook in, like, you know, several different households. And she was um, infected with a bacteria called Salmonella typhi, and it didn't make her sick, but she would pass it on to other people while cooking with these unclean hands, like she didn't wash her hands after going to the bathroom. And some people would get really sick and die, and she would have no idea because she was feeling fine herself. She would move on to another household, and other people would get sick and die, and she'd move on to another household. So, you know, Typhoid Mary, you know, there's a lot of negativity associated with her and her resistance to understanding what happened and her insistence of trying to get back into the workforce because she just wanted to survive and take care of herself. But her story is more complicated than just she's a terrible person who did this, you know. She was also a person who was just trying to live and survive. And this, so the the book, uh, Patient Zero, helps us to get a better insight. Hopefully, we learn some compassion and understanding in the course of it. I think so. You know, I that's what our hope is. Our hope is not to lay out, um, you know, a set of stories where you can figure out where to point blame. It's really to understand that we have a really complicated relationship with nature, with the globe, with traveling, with um, all these infectious diseases. We have this tendency to think like, here we are going about our lives and these infections come at us and they attack us and they wreak havoc and things like that. But the truth is, is that we are always in a push-pull with these forces around us, with infections that are trying to take us down if we're feeling, if we're, our bodies are weak in one way or the other. And the truth is, is that we push back on the environment we change our envi- humans have changed our environment in ways that no other creature on earth ever has you know with global warming and deforestation and mass industrialization and agriculture and food and things like that we have been changing our environments ever since we you know showed up on this earth and that puts pressure on nature and nature presses back and so we come into contact with things like ebola and covid and you know, all these other diseases, um, because we don't live in isolation. We live in a very um, active world with a lot of infections that are trying to just do their job. And they're not evil. They're just trying to survive just like us. It's just that sometimes it's at our expense. Yes. And and we want to be the conquerors. We are mighty, right? And we yes, want... we do. <laughs> and so it... Of course, here we are living it, and, and in that way, I think patient zero is such a great way for us to get a, an insight and some perspective on what we're dealing with with COVID. Um, I think we, we became maybe, what, a little complacent because we have all these medicines, all this medical help for us over the, the years and decades, and then all of a sudden we hit this virus that uh, we have had such a battle with for such a long time for our history, right? So I think this helps us maybe to get an understanding, do you think, Dr. Kang? I think so. I mean, I think if anything, it sort of shows that even in a first world country like the United States, 
even in a place where we have tried to prepare for the next pandemic, we can still be very much woefully underprepared for when it actually happens. Um, the problem is that we don't know what's going to strike next, and we don't know how it's going to act. And so COVID was this black box of, you know, just lack of information. We just didn't know what the virus was and how it worked and how it spread. And, you know, um, and so in gathering all that information, there was this big scramble in the beginning, and it really kind of showed how much um, we still have to learn. But that being said, um, we also did things very, very quickly. Like we did, we were able to, you know, genotype the virus quickly. We were able to put out, you know, vaccines faster than any other time before. Um, and so we did make a lot of, I think, um, uh, steps in trying to conquer something that was totally brand new to us. But I think it also laid bare where we have a lot of work to do for the future. Right. And I can see there might be potential here for a brand new book. Oh, gosh, there's always potential here for, <laughs> for a brand new book. But, yeah, I think people really just want to get, get you know, sort of get over COVID right now. Yes. And honestly, in writing this book and writing about typhus and polio and smallpox and anything, if, if there's one thing that I've learned from the book, it's that a lot of these huge pandemics often do come to an end or they come to a place of some amount of control um, where it becomes more endemic as opposed to just um, really raging and, and causing uh, major havoc. So, um, so I do have hope that, you know, um, that this pandemic will simmer down at some point, um, but I do not have hope that it's going to be the last. I'm fairly sure it's going to happen many, many times again in our lifetimes. So we go back about 100 years, though, right, to smallpox, to seeing something that's really of the scale that COVID has been? Well, you know, I think smallpox was a bigger scale. I mean, if you look at the number of people um, who have died from, you know, COVID, so right now we're still talking about, I mean, it depends on sort of who you look at for as far as like, you know, deaths, but, you know, we're talking about 5 million or more deaths, like globally. But when you think about smallpox, you know, when smallpox and measles hit North and South America during the Columbian exchange, like when Columbus came over and, you know, all these colonists came over to, um, uh, to these continents, we're talking about tens of millions of indigenous people who died, like tens of millions, maybe even upwards to, like, you know, 90 million. So it doesn't even compare to some of the destruction that has happened. Um, in the past, you know, the, the 1918 flu killed 50 million people. So, yeah, things are bad now, and I don't want to downplay that COVID is, is pretty serious. Um, but we have done this before, and we have, and and, and we've seen it before. So, um, you know, there is a lot of history that this book sort of helps us sort of remember that we've we've been through a lot of these things before, and we should take what we've learned and try to apply it to what's happening now and what's happening in the future. Right. And and it strikes me as living through COVID that having patience, I mean, we want we want results and we want to stop it now. But but science being what it is and having to develop uh, ways to deal with it and the vaccines to have patience and, and some understanding and and tolerance even. You know, I totally agree. I think that we live in a society where we expect answers immediately, right? So you can lift up your phone or ask Siri for something and Siri gets it 
to you right away. And so I think we've become an extremely impatient society where we expect things to happen immediately. And we're also really privileged. We live in a, in a world where we have really great um, you know, medical advances um, at our fingertips at, this, at the nearest hospital if we're so lucky. Um, so when something like this happens and we're scrambling and we don't have answers and we have to wait for a vaccine or we have to wait and find out, well, you know, what, what is the news on COVID? How does it spread? And, you know, and that information changes as we gather new information. I think that we have to be patient with the fact that that is a process and it doesn't happen as quickly as Siri can, can get it for us. Um, and that's really hard for a lot of people because we live this is a society we live in. We order something and it arrives the next day on our doorstep. Um, we need to have a little bit more patience so we can do things the right way and really take care of things. Yes. I, thank you for, for saying it in that way because uh, I think we need to understand that and embrace that so that we can move forward, uh, well, more peaceably, but also more healthily. And that's where reading about this the history of diseases i think helps to put that someone into perspective yes we we need to understand how we live in this you know i i want it right now kind of society but to understand that all of this is evolutionary absolutely yeah it is the entire thing is this ongoing process it's a it's an evolving process just like you're saying um and you know we have to remember that um during this process you know, our natural curiosity to try to make things better has really brought us to some really fantastic um, realizations and discoveries. Um, you know, one of my favorite parts of this book was um, writing about all the advancements that came out of living through these terrible pandemics or these diseases. Um, one of them is uh, the emergence of, you know, the mask, you know, the N95 mask. Um, there was a lot of fighting over whether or not we should be wearing masks. There still is fighting over um, whether or not we should wear masks. But hopefully everybody can get behind the fact that, you know, the story behind how it happened is really kind of fascinating, which is, um, you know, there was in the 1950s, there was this woman named Sarah Little Turnbull, and she worked for House Beautiful. She was an editor there. And she was asked by the company 3M, which is the same company that makes Post-it Notes, so she was asked by them um, to help work on maybe these, these um, liquefied polymers to try to make ribbons. And um, in the process, she was like, hey, you know, these actually, you know, weave together and make these really fantastic, um, like, pads, like shoulder pads or bra pads or bra cups. So that was kind of an interesting thing. But then later on in the 1950s, after she herself had been dealing with, like, ill patients, ill family members in the hospital, she thought, you know what, these bra cups would make great masks. So then she and 3M ended up working on using some of this technology to create what's now known as the N95 mask. So, you know, that kind of brilliant insight and that curiosity, um, you know, came about from these terrible diseases. So it's, it's kind of neat to see that even in all this sort of like, you know, all this history that where all these terrible things happen, there were a lot of positive things that came out of them through human ingenuity and just trying to make things better. Yes, exactly. Thank you for sharing that story because uh, that is what I was also wondering about in your writing the book. What kinds of things came up that really were a surprise to you and a great discovery? 
Oh, yeah, there were so many. There are endless things, and they're peppered all throughout the book. Um, another one of my favorites is, um, you know, the origin of the vaccine. So everybody, you know, we're all talking about the COVID vaccine and whether or not to get it or, or anything. But, you know, the story behind um, the actual creation of the vaccine is a lot older than you think. It actually started in the 1700s. So in the 1700s in England, there were two men who sort of simultaneously came upon the idea of a vaccination. So what happened was they had noticed that milkmaids, these um, you know young women who were milking cows, tended to have these beautiful complexions, and they were not susceptible to smallpox, which is this really devastating disease. If you ever Google pictures of it, it's just it's, I got it. You got to brace yourself because it's really horrible to see. Um, and it was even more horrible for people to experience. But um, they were, it's just this very disfiguring rash that can happen. But these milkmaids were not getting it, and it's because um, cows would get this disease called cowpox, and um, it would occasionally spread to the milkmaid. Like they might get like one little lesion on their on their arm or their or their face or something like that. But it it, it wasn't very widespread, and then it would heal. And so these two men, um, Edward Jenner and Benjamin Jesse, they both had separate ideas like, what if you gave cowpox to a person? Does that mean that that would protect them against smallpox? So they scratched into that little, you know, pustule on the, on the milkmaid, and then they put that into, they sort of scratched the skin of a, of a little kid, and that kid got a little blister, and it healed, and then they wouldn't get smallpox when they were um, exposed to it. So it was the first vaccine. And um, so the vaccine's a lot older than people realize. And what people also don't realize is the name vaccine comes from the Latin word vaca, which means cow. So people are talking about, you know, um, cows all the time when they talk about a vaccine and they don't even know about it. And <laughs> that is just all so fascinating. And I can see how uh, this would be so appealing in a classroom situation to talk about these parts of of history and of our language and how it fits into the science. And it all is just so wonderfully interwoven. It is. It is. And, you know, ultimately, they are all just stories, right? I think that if you think of science a lot of people sort of bristle and they get all like, they're like, oh, I'm not a science person. I don't understand it. Or they think about history and they're like, oh, history is so boring. I don't want to really read about it. But, you know, when we wrote this book and when we wrote Quackery, we were both fascinated by the science, fascinated by the history. And we wanted to write it in a way that's just not boring. So you could read it and it unfolds like a murder mystery. Like, who mm. done it? Like, where did this come from? Why, where is the source? Like, why is this happening? Um, and it's, you know, just as juicy as a murder mystery, but it's actually real stuff that actually happened and really hurt people, and we learned a lot from all of them. I know that I kind of, you know, jumped through the book to just different diseases, one of them being leprosy, because as a kid growing up and it was part of stories that were shared, biblical stories, then somehow it seemed like this horrible thing. So to read about leprosy in Hawaii and how people were ostracized, you know, the way that you presented the whole chapter, yes, you know, it's living, breathing people and and how they were treated and mistreated. It's it's so critical for us to read, and, and it also is highly interesting. Yeah, 
it was it was just really interesting. I think a lot of people also aren't aware that, you know, leprosy is now called Hansen's disease. It's sort of got a new name. And that takes away from that stigma of like being a leper or having leprosy because it's a disease like um, a lot of other infectious diseases. It's not their fault and, you know, they shouldn't be ostracized. And it turns out leprosy actually isn't that difficult to get, even though it's really considered to be like, oh, like you're you're so infective, you're so contagious like a leper. But the truth is that it's very hard to get leper. Most people who are exposed to it don't get, you know, Hansen's disease. Um, another really fun tidbit from um, that chapter is that um, armadillos actually um, carry Hansen's disease. About 20% of armadillos have it. Um, so that's a kind of fun fact that you can bring up at a party or something. Like, actually, armadillos can have leprosy and can pass it on. So it's uh, it's sort of an interesting fact. But, you know, the book is sort of littered with all these little interesting sort of um, tidbits that people, I think, will be pretty surprised at learning. Yes. And that's why I think, uh, well, classrooms are a great place to add that into all different kinds of lessons. But for families to have and, and read and, and discuss, I think there's just such a wealth of information. And then I think that that can build a, a greater understanding and a compassion for for disease and, and that history and, and how we might live our lives today. Absolutely. I mean, like I said before, it is you know, these diseases have been interwoven with um, human history for time out of mind, and they continue to do so. And if anything, the last two years have just proven how much, um, you know, uh, uh, one little virus can actually affect all of world history and politics and all sorts of things. So, um, you know, this helps us sort of reflect on our relationship with the world, our relationship with these um, different kinds of infections and um, how humans have just constantly endeavored to understand them so that they can better protect themselves and better understand how we sort of exist within this greater world. Yes, absolutely. So this book, this wonderful book, Patient Zero, A Curious History of the World's Worst Diseases, just out freshly out. And I think the timing is great in another vein in that this is a time of year that we often think of gift giving. And wouldn't this be just really such a, a, a gift of great wealth so and information to share with someone who, uh, you know, just has everything that they need, or even if they don't, just that information and education that goes on. Isn't it a great gift? I think so. I think it would be great for people who are just fascinated by history, people who like sleuth stories about, like, you know, where did, how did this happen and, you know, what's, this, what's the story behind all of this, um, people who like science sort of given to them in a way that's a lot more easy to understand and is a lot more entertaining than, you know, a, a, a more stodgy old science book, that sort of thing. Um, and the book is written in a way where you don't have to read it cover to cover. You, like, you just open it up in the middle and just, you know, read part of a chapter here or a little sidebar there and learn something without feeling like you got to just take Because, you know, our attention spans, as we know, are about the size of a flea these days. So, you know, it's a great way to sort of pick up, read a little bit, put it down and um, learn a little bit without feeling like you got to dedicate hours to reading it at a time. So it would make a great gift book for the holidays if you have somebody who's a curious person, has got a curious mind. I think they would love it. Yes, for sure. 
And then to find out about all of your writing, because you certainly, you you know, you just um, are amazing in that you are a physicist physician who loves to write and writes amazingly. So let's mention your website so people can get more insight and information. Sure. Uh, my website is LydiaKang.com. You can find my events uh, there. I'm also on Instagram at Lydia Kang as well. And the book is available in bookstores all over the country as well as online and Amazon. Which is perfect. So be sure to put that on your list of things that you must have. Dr. Kang, you are just so wonderful. I am so grateful for this time and your insights into this wonderful book. Uh, Thank you for your work and your passion. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. You are welcome. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Dr. Lydia Kang and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Catherine Athens. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your having shared this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or to share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of discussing health, our mental and emotional health, as well as our physical health. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning on this first Sunday of 2022.